0: Church family, it is so good to be with you guys today. I hope you're feeling refreshed and renewed after that time of worship. If you're tuning in online, I want to say hello to you as well. We trust that you are doing well. We pray for you every single day. Uh, can't wait till we can be together in person once again. And before I dive into this week's message as we continue this series on legacy, I want to just address some things that have happened in our nation this week. It's been a very interesting week. To say, the, uh, to say the least. Um, Tuesday was election day and Americans went out and cast their votes. And uh, after some uh, states being undeclared and not sure because the race was too close to call and some legal challenges being raised uh, this past, uh, just yesterday, they announced that Joe Biden will be our next president. Now, some of you are very happy about that announcement and others of you are maybe not so happy, a little bit upset, maybe a little sad. Some of you haven't even accepted it yet because you think that there might still be a chance it could be overturned. But wherever you stand on the spectrum, can I just remind my church of one thing? Jesus Christ, our conquering king, is still on the throne. He's still alive. The mission has not changed. The church will continue to march on. I believe that the church's best days are still in front of us. They are not behind us, regardless of who sits in the awful office, because our hope does not rest in a person sitting in an office. It rests on the one that's sitting on the throne in the heavenlies. And if I could encourage my church to do one more thing. If you're upset or if you're happy, if this election stands and Joe Biden is our next president, can I encourage all of my brothers and sisters in Christ to commit to praying for Joe Biden the same way that we prayed for President Trump, the same way that we were called to pray for Barack Obama before him? Because we are people of faith and we're gonna walk under the banner of victory that our King Jesus gave us. And we are called to pray for those in authority. And we're gonna do that as followers of Jesus. We're gonna love one another. We're gonna pray for our enemies. We're gonna keep doing what God has always called us to do no matter who sits in the Oval Office. Can I get an amen? Amen. So last week I shared with you guys the vision of legacy as one for the one. Legacy that began 2000 years ago when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. And when he said, I'm gonna build my church, he wasn't talking about building a building. He was talking about building an army of people that would gather together for a purpose, to be sent out on mission. The church is the legacy of Jesus. That legacy has been handed down from generation to generation for 2,000 years until it has come to us. We are the legacy of Jesus, which is crazy to think about. And our legacy in this world depends on how we, as one church family, decide to invest, to, to take what was deposited in us and invest it into the lives of others. Not for our own glory but for the one who is still alive today and is still advancing his kingdom through us. That's legacy. But even though the church is a people, not a place or a building, as we talked about last week, throughout scripture, throughout history, there have been many examples of buildings being constructed to have a place to worship God. Buildings don't make a church, I said last week, but a lot of times the church will decide it needs to make a building. So this series is not about constructing a building as much as it is understanding that God is building us into a spiritual house using us as living stones, like Kim, whose story I shared with you guys last week. In fact, the apostle Peter writes in his letter that you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I want you to know that the building is not our focus. The people that God has called us to reach through this building is our focus. And we want to make sure that there is room for them when they come as God continues to draw them. Because what God is building here is bigger than anyone building. He is building changed lives and family legacies that will impact generations. And last week, we celebrated the foundation that has been laid here. If you were here, you remember, I spoke just a couple of verses from the book of Ezra, where after 70 years of captivity, the Jews returned to their homeland, and Zerubbabel led the charge to reconstruct the temple, which had been torn down when the Babylonians invaded. And so Zerubbabel you know, builds this team to reconstruct and rebuild the temple of God so that they would once again have a place to worship. And after they laid the foundation, they paused to have a praise party. And that's kind of what we did last week. We celebrated the foundation that has been laid here, not just physically, but spiritually, with the lives that have been changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But because of what God is building here, and the growth that we've experienced over the last several years, last October, we launched a three-phase building campaign to make room for the people who are calling this church their home. Now phase one is what you see being constructed beside us. It is a brand new worship auditorium that will double the seating capacity that we have in this current auditorium. And we're hoping and praying that the completion for phase one is just around the corner. Within the next six weeks or so, we're hoping to be able to conduct and have our first experiences in our new auditorium. By the end of this year, and if you are still able to, if you're working, employed, earning an income and haven't yet fulfilled your phase one pledge, we're counting on you to do that. You've got to the end of the year and we're counting on you to be faithful to the commitment that you made. And if I could just pause right here and once again say thank you for your faithfulness. It is so humbling to be a pastor of such a generous and giving church. The lives that have been changed because of your generosity is, is just amazing. So thank you for that. But that's phase one, it's nearing completion. Phase two is what we're getting ready to kick off. All right, as we move into the new auditorium, we need to renovate and repurpose this space to be a warm and welcoming atrium or foyer where conversations and connections can take place. We want to renovate the bathrooms back in the kids life wings, which desperately need it. We need to bring them into the 21st century. Uh, We also need to put a roof over our heads as uh, if you've been here for any length of time on a weekend when it's rained, you know that we've got buckets all over the place because there are many leaks in our roof and it's beyond repair. It has to be replaced. But the biggest part of phase two is repurposing the space we're sitting in right now to be an area where we can have community, where you can hang out with and talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ before and after service. There's going to be sitting areas and couches for, for you to just, you know, build relationships with people that you attend church with. There'll be a central information hub for for guests to be able to learn about the opportunities to get connected and take their next step into a life group, or maybe to an outreach opportunity, or maybe to join the Dream Team. And once again, if you're here today and you're not yet serving on the Dream Team, could I encourage you to consider doing that? Because as we get into the new auditorium, the number of volunteer spaces that will need to be filled to serve the people that come each weekend with excellence is going to more than double. We need to double our parking team. We need to double our safety and security team. We need to double the number of greeters as now we have many more doors that we need to cover with greeters. And so if you're somebody who's just been like kind of hanging back on the sidelines, kind of wondering, hey, I wonder where I might be able to fit or use some of my gifts and my passions to serve the people that I attend church with, then now is your time. And if you'd be willing to do that, we would love to connect with you. And so you could take the yellow Next Steps card in the seatback pocket in front of you. Or if you're watching online, just go to our website, click the Next Steps button and let us know. We would really, really appreciate that. So that's, that's phase two, which is going to kick off as soon as phase one ends. And the goal of this next phase is to raise $300,000 by the end of next year. That will come in through pledged commitments that people will give above and beyond their normal tithes. Uh, Through the end of next year. And so, what I want to encourage everyone to do when you walked in, hopefully, you were handed one of these brochures. If you could pull that out right now, there's a pledge card inside of it. Next Sunday is Commitment Sunday. Last week, I asked all of you to prayerfully consider what God would have you give towards this next phase of our building campaign. And I just want you to pray about it. I want you to take this card home with you if you're married. Talk to your spouse about it. Pray with them about it. If you're not married, just go to the Lord and say, God, what would you have me give to be a part of building a legacy and partnering with your plan for this part of the world to to reach my generation for Christ? And the next week, you're going to bring this card back with you, filled out with the pledge that you are committing to give through the end of next year. And all I want you to do is just to be faithful and obedient to, to give what God ask you to give. And if you're watching online and you're not able to grab one of these cards, we have a webpage that you can check out as well, lifechurchbuffalo.com legacy, where you can read everything that is in this brochure as well as fill out an electronic version of this pledge card as well. Again, I want you to hear my heart. The building is not the church. We are the church. The building is just a tool that will enable us to reach and teach with excellence So many that will find hope, healing, forgiveness, freedom, belonging, and purpose that their hearts has been desperately searching for. And I know that people get a little bit nervous and some even get upset when when the church decides to talk about money. And if all you hear in this series is a money talk, then you've completely missed the point. In fact, I would go so far as to say that if all you think we're trying to do through this series is to get you to give money towards the building campaign, then don't give. Don't give if that's what you think we're trying to do. If it doesn't excite you to give to something that will see lives changed and, and family legacies changed, eternal destinies changed, if that doesn't excite you, then don't give. I don't want people to give because they're, they're being guilted into it because they're excited about what God is building here and seeing the lives changed. Because when I think about the way my life has been changed because people were willing to sacrifice and give towards the work of the Lord, then, man, I get overwhelmed. I think about the legacy that my parents passed down to me, that my mom and dad laid a foundation of faith for me, deposited a spiritual legacy in me that I'm still carrying on. I think about the lives of sacrifice that they live to, to pursue God's call on their lives that, that have greatly impacted me. I think about my youth pastor when I was in sixth grade who, who saw something in me and spoke purpose and destiny into my life. I think about my wife, Kelly, who's sitting on the front row here this morning who believed in me when nobody else did, when I was broken and hurting and reminded me of who I was. She deposited something in me that's part of the legacy that she leaves is the, the change that she has made in my life. And then I think about Pastor Craig, who founded this church, who four years ago passed the baton of leadership for this church to me, to say that, that I'm humbled at, at the opportunity that I've been given to lead such an amazing church. That's, that's legacy. And I get choked up when I think about what kind of legacy do I want to pass down to my children? I don't know if you think about the way that you're living your life and what you're passing down to your children. Because every single one of you are created to leave your mark on this earth and to make a difference. Your life matters. God put you here to make a difference in the world, but your life is never going to make sense. And you will never feel fulfilled until you're living your life in such a way that you know you're making a difference. In fact, Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity into the hearts of men. In other words, we are driven by eternity, that Christian or not, this thought of what comes after this life is a universal question. Every person at some point in their life wrestles with this concept of like, is this all there is or is there something more? That's because God has put eternity in the hearts of men. We are are created with this desire to know that there is something after this life that will outlive us or maybe that we will live forever. God created us that way. We're driven by eternity, but the problem is that a lot of people allow the pursuit of more in this world to distract us from the goal of earning a reward in the next life. But we need to be driven by eternity more than we are by the temporary or the temporal. You could say that God created us to leave a legacy, which is why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 12:5 that good will come to him who is generous, who lends freely, and who conducts his affairs with justice, who lives his life in such a way and and, and does his dealings with integrity and with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. Now that doesn't mean that there won't be a shaking. How many of you know that 2020, there's been a whole lot of shaking going on in our world. But what the psalmist is saying that you can live your life in such a way that even when everything around you is shaking you don't have to be shaken because you know where your hope rests and then he says this here's the legacy part of this verse a righteous man will be remembered forever that's legacy right there but you can't be remembered forever if you haven't left a legacy i want to live my life in such a way that my life lives beyond me that's kind of how i define legacy When my life lives on, I'm a part of my father's legacy. His life lives on in me, and my children are a part of my legacy. Like, my life will live on in them after I'm gone. And that's what I want for all of you here today and for everyone watching online, that you would experience the fulfillment that comes from knowing that you were made on purpose for a purpose and that you're living out your purpose. I want you to, and God wants you to, Live your life in such a way that your life lives on. Some of you might ask, well, how do I do that? Psalm 112 actually told us two ways. The first way I leave a legacy is giving to something that will outlive me. It says good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Generosity is tied to legacy. I would go so far as to say that you can't leave a legacy if you're not a generous person. So I don't want to spend my time and my money on on things that are just going to be consumed but then gone. I want to give my time, my talents, and my treasure to things that will outlive me. And the kingdom of God is the only thing that's going to last forever. And I believe that if you will focus on building God's house, he will focus on building yours. I believe that's a spiritual principle that we can count on. I shared that with you a little bit last year Uh, during the first phase of Legacy. From the book of Haggai, when God kind of challenged the Israelites to say, you live in these nice paneled houses, but my house is in ruins. And he, he he asked them to consider their ways, but then flipped it and said, but if you will build my house, then I will bless you from that day forward. If we will build God's house, he will build and bless ours, and you'll be remembered forever. The second way I leave a legacy is by living so my life outlives we. By by giving and by living. It says, who conducts his affairs with justice. So let me ask you today, how are you living? Are you living your life now in such a way that the virtues you want to be remembered for will be present in in the lives of people that you impacted in this world? Because we make a living by what you get but you leave a legacy by what you give. Giving to something that will outlive us is part of how we leave a legacy. That's what your life is all about. The extras that we spend so much time pursuing are just that, they're extras. And there's nothing wrong with having extras. There's nothing wrong with enjoying this life and having nice things. But man, living on mission and knowing that you are making a difference in other people's lives Giving and living in a way that your life outlives you, man, that's, that's where the good stuff's at. That's when we really find fulfillment and purpose. And what we give to the cause of Christ will be a part of our spiritual legacy. And so I wanna show you some biblical precedent for what we're doing through this legacy campaign. Last week, I shared with you that God gave Moses instructions to construct a temporary kind of portable church called the Tabernacle, It was a tent that they would be able to set up and tear down and and move on carts, you know, as they moved from one place to another through the wilderness, and then even as they got into the promised land. And so once Moses received these instructions from the Lord, he announced to the Israelites that they needed to collect and receive an offering to make provisions to, you know, acquire the materials needed to construct this tabernacle. So Moses announces this, this offering, and in Exodus 35, verse 21 It says, everyone whose heart was moved and whose spirit prompted him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all of its services and for the holy garments. I'm hoping that through this series, your heart will be moved and that the Holy Spirit will prompt you on what you should give towards the work on the house of the Lord. That your heart would be moved and that your spirit would be prompted. Then, hundreds of years later, a guy by the name of David, who would become king of Israel, would come along. And David had a heart and a passion for God and for the house of God. He had a passion for the presence of God. And he thought to himself, you know, it's not right that I'm living in this this huge mansion, this palace, while God's house is this portable tent. I want to build God a house, a permanent temple. But God basically told David no, that he couldn't do that because he was a man of war and had shed too much blood. He says, you can't, but your son Solomon can and will build me a house. And so David set out to make preparations so that when the time came, Solomon would have everything he needed to construct the temple. And David, like Moses, announced that there would be an offering, that we needed to receive an offering to, to make it possible to build this temple. And historians today believe that this offering that's recorded in scripture is the single largest philanthropic offering ever received in the history of mankind. The amount of money that was received through this offering for the initial construction of the temple, historians believe is the largest offering ever given. And I want you to see what David said in 1 Chronicles 29 verse three. He said, moreover, because of my delight in the house of my God, One translation says because I've set my affection on the house of my God. If Twitter were a thing back in David's day, I'm convinced that David would be the one that would have invented the hashtag, I love my church. David was passionate about the things of God, the presence of God and the house of God. Because of my delight in the house of my God, he said, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the house of my God over and above All that I've already provided for the house. He had already given what was minimally required. But he's like, I love God's house so much that I'm gonna give over and above for my personal treasury of gold and silver to make sure that this happens. Man, I love Jesus so much, he could ask me for anything. And I'd be like, it's all yours, God, whatever I can do. And then in verse five, he says this as he turns and presents the opportunity to the people. He says, Now who will volunteer? to consecrate himself to the Lord today. If you were with us in January, you know that consecrate was my one word for the year. The one word that I'm kind of focusing on, praying into for this year using the verse, consecrate yourselves to the Lord today for tomorrow you will see him do amazing things among you. And we have seen him do amazing things among us this year, but it's interesting that he says, who will volunteer? Giving is a part of consecrating yourself to the Lord and legacy is a voluntary offering. Nobody has to give anything. I'm asking you to just prayerfully consider what God would have you give. I don't want you to give because you feel like you have to or out of guilt or compulsion. I want you to give because like David, you love God's house and what he's doing in it. I want you to give because you love seeing lives changed. And then here's the response of the people in verse six. Then the leaders of households, The leaders of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. Not because they had to, they gave willingly. For the service of God's house, they gave. You guys, I'm looking for people who are willing to give towards the work of God's house so that lives could be changed. Because as the Apostle Paul would later write in the New Testament, that if the willingness is there, then the gift is acceptable. According to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. So I'm simply asking you to willingly, prayerfully consider what God would have you give out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. It's willingness that God wants. God loves a cheerful giver. Maybe some of you are wondering. You know what? That sounds great and all, and I could tell that you're really excited about this and all that. But I've got I've got bills to pay and I've got obligations, and you know I'm just I'm not as excited about that stuff as you are. And I've got these other interests, or I've just you know I'm just doing my best to make ends meet. How do I, how do I get that kind of passion that you're talking about for the things of God and for the house of God? Like I hear David, I hear you, but like how do I, how do I get that in my life? I think it boils down to one word, and the word is why. Why motivates everything we do in life. There is a reason you do anything and everything that you do. So why do we give? If you don't know the why, see, some of you in your marriage, when you, if you forget why you married your spouse, that's when you start to be tempted to look elsewhere. If you're taking notes, write this down. When I lose my why, I'll lose my way. When I lose my why, I'll lose my way. And some of you here today have lost your way because you lost your why. Your marriage is in trouble because you forgot why you married that person or maybe your relationship with God or your love for for Jesus has grown cold because you forgot what he did for you and and what he saved you from and why you said yes to a relationship with him. When I lose my why, I'll lose my way. You need to rediscover your why. So why should you give and be a part of legacy? Because you can give out of obligation if you want to because you feel like you have to. And I, I don't want anybody to give if that's the reason. Or you can give like David out of delight for God's house because you find joy in making a difference through your giving. We need a get to rather than a got to mentality when it comes to giving. We get to give. We don't have to give. We get to give. And so what I did today is I made a list of only five. I could have kept going. I could have made the list 20 reasons, but I'm gonna give you five reasons today why I give. Now, these are extremely personal to me, and I'm hoping that in sharing them with you, you might be able to identify with some of them or find a reason why you would give towards the expansion of God's house. And the first reason I get to give, it's a privilege to give, is because Jesus gave to us first. For God so loved the world that I'm a part of, he what? He gave. Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us. He says, "My peace I give to you." He gave us life, he gave us freedom, he gave us forgiveness, he gave us belonging, he gave us purpose. I give because Jesus gave to us first. And as Jesus said in Matthew 10:8, "Freely you have received, I've given you all these things. Freely you've received, now freely give." And I would say that when you freely receive, you will freely give. When you realize how much God's given you, it's a joy to freely give back to him. The message paraphrase translates this verse this way. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Generosity is a privilege. God has freely and richly given so much to us. Therefore, it is an honor to freely give back to him and to be generous with our time, our talents, and our treasure. And if you struggle with being generous, and giving towards the work of God, then maybe you need to just fall in love with Jesus all over again. Maybe you need to remember what he saved you from and all that he's done in your life. Because as Robert Harris says, if one first gives himself to the Lord, then all other giving is easy. And if you struggle with with giving and being generous with your resources, with your finances then maybe it's an issue of the heart. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's easy to give to things where your heart is. So that's the first reason I give. The second reason I get to give is because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Jesus actually said that. And that word blessed in the original language is the word makarios, which means supremely blessed or happy in your soul. In other words, Jesus was basically saying, like, it is way more fun to give than it is to get. And most of us, I think, know this to be true. Like, when you compare the feeling you get when you get a gift, and I love getting gifts just as much as the next person. Like, y'all can buy me presents, I'll gladly receive them. But that joy only lasts for so long. But when I compare that to the joy I feel when I give a gift to my kids and I see them enjoying it, Man, nothing compares with that. That joy is so much deeper and richer and longer lasting. That's why, like, you know, God put that in you, that, that excitement, that happiness that comes when you, when you give. That's why when you see some kids with a lemonade stand as you're driving down the road, you decide to pull over. And as soon as you pull over, you, know, you look in the rear view and you see them like they're jumping and oh, somebody stop and we get to sell some lemonade. You know, and you kind of laugh to yourself as they walk up to your car and you, you roll down the window and, and you're like, I'll take two lemonades please. You're like, you want two? Yeah, I want two. And so they run back to their lemonade stand and you know, they grab the Dixie cups and they've got their finger in the cup as they're pouring the lemonade right? And they bring the cups back to you, and you hold them, and they're like, that, that's a dollar, sir. It's 50 cents a cup. That'll be a dollar. And you hand them two dollars or five dollars just to bless them, and you watch them. They're really? Yeah, really. Go ahead. It's okay. And they run back to their lemonade stand, and you see them. They're like, yeah, giving each other a high five, and you just laugh to yourself, because that's fun. That's fun to give. I mean, you hold the cups in your hand as you drive away, because you ain't drinking it. You saw where that finger was in the cup, and <laughs> I mean, you can drink it if you want to, but I ain't drinking it. Like, I, I get far enough away until they can't see me anymore, then I dump the lemonade out. But, like, the fun part is seeing the reaction to you giving to them. That's just fun. And God put that in your DNA. That it's way more fun to give than it is to get. The message paraphrase records Acts twenty thirty-five this way, when Jesus said that. You'll likely not go wrong here if you keep remembering that our master Jesus said, you are far happier getting than you are, or you're far happier giving than you are getting. Which reminds me of a a saying from Winston Churchill who said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. You also leave a legacy by what you give. It is fun to give. It is fun seeing lives changed. It is fun loving and serving the people in our community through serve days. And that's why I get to give, because it's fun. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. The third reason I get to give is because I'm in a covenant with God and with all of you. I am. And so are you if you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus came to establish a new covenant. He said when he shared the Last Supper with his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Like we are in a covenantal relationship with God and with each other. You know, God has a plan for the earth and the church is the vehicle through which God has chosen to reveal his plan of redemption to the world. And his plan is basically this. His plan is that we would come together geographically and relationally, that we would be so closely connected to one another that we would be able to accomplish far more together than any of us ever could do apart on our own. That's his plan. That's why the enemy attacks your relationship so much, is because he wants you isolated and alone. That's why he, he tries to get you to pick up an offense with that other person that attends church with you. You're like, you know what? I don't think I want to go today. I don't want to see that person. They annoy me, whatever. But as soon as you withdraw and isolate yourself from the body, not only are you easy pickings for the enemy, but you also are a whole lot more ineffective at that point. Because we can accomplish far more together than we can alone. And we've seen that even through Serve Day when we are intentional about pooling our resources together and and loving and serving people in our community. The impact of that collective effort is so much greater than anything any of us could do by ourselves. I get to give because I'm in a covenant relationship with God and with you. And your full potential in this world will only be realized when you find your covenant family. And it doesn't have to be here but you do need to plant yourself in a local church. God's design and his plan is that as a member of his body, you would be connected to the body, and no member of the body can thrive when disconnected from the body. That's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 92 that those who are planted in the house of God shall flourish in the courts of our God. You can't flourish unless you're planted. I'm not talking about just attending church. I'm talking about being rooted and planted in the house of God. That's the way he set it up, where you're contributing. You're not just attending. You're a contributor, not just a consumer. You're giving. You're all in. And I'm so grateful to be in covenant relationship with all of you guys. And I believe that God has called us together to make a difference and an impact in our city. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. I want you to discover the joy of, of being connected and, and, and having that sense of belonging and community and knowing that you God is using you to make a difference in people's lives. And this, by the way, is why we call, we don't do membership here at this church. Several people have asked us. We do a covenant partnership. When you go through growth path, you'll hear about this. See, I can be a member anywhere. I can be a member at BJ's. I can be a member at a gym. As long as I pay my monthly dues, I'm good. And I have zero responsibility to ensure that the success of that business or that enterprise continues. Like I don't have to do anything else besides pay my dues. I don't want people to have that mentality when it comes to being in covenant relationship with God's family. Like we are in covenant relationship with each other. And so when you go through growth path, if if you decide to to sign the covenant agreement, you're making a commitment that you're all in. You're planted here. You're going to protect the testimony of this church. You're going to give to this church. You're going to participate. You're going to invite people. That's what we do here. So that was number three. Number four, I get to give because I really believe in the vision of our church. I do. I mean, I love seeing what God is doing around the world in in the capital C church. But I love what God is doing in and through our church right here in Western New York. I believe in the vision that God's given us. And if you're new here, you don't know what that vision is. I want to put it up on the screen for you. It's in your bulletins. We we want to keep it in front of you, but here's the vision that I believe God's given us as a church. We envision a local church of Christ followers who joyfully make room for people at every stage of belief who gather as one each weekend to experience God and proclaim the good news in the most excellent way, who all belong in small group community to grow their faith and authentically live it out together in real time, and who love their world with intentional creative outreach so that those far from God may be brought closer to him. That's what God has called us to. That's the vision And Paul said in Ephesians that God's intent was that through the church, God's plan would be made manifest. The message paraphrase says it this way. Check this out. That through followers of Jesus, like yourselves, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God to, to win the world, to bring people back into relationship with himself, is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. How crazy is it that what we're doing here as a church is being talked about in the heavenlies. That's awesome. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. Yes, I know that Jesus is the hope of the world, but the only Jesus people some people are ever gonna see is the one they see in you and me. And the church, God's intent was that through the church, the wisdom of God would be made known to the world and to heavenly beings. That's crazy. I get to give because of that. The church, you and me, living on mission, demonstrating the love of Jesus, walking in obedience to the things he's called us to do is how the people in our personal worlds, in our lives, are gonna come to know who Jesus is. I believe in the vision of our church, and I hope you do too. There are so many more reasons that I could give you for why I get to give, but this next one is probably the most important. If I only had to pick one, this next one would be it. I get to give because one day, I wanna hear Jesus say, well done. You know, we're all gonna stand before God one day, and we're all gonna have to give an account for how we lived our lives. When you stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, it's a two question test. What did you do with my son Jesus and what did you do with what I gave you? And I don't know how you picture that event taking place, but I wanna share with you kinda of how I picture this judgment seat encounter with God. And if you can prove to me theologically that this is not how it's gonna be, don't tell me, okay? This is my picture, I wanna enjoy my, my story. But I I picture maybe being in a holding room or something like that where all of a sudden there's this loudspeaker where it's like, (sighs) Peter Jankowski, please report to the throne room. It's your turn to see Jesus. Like, (laughs) maybe something like that, I don't know. But maybe as I I round the corner and I I see Jesus face to face for the first time, I'm going to try to get through this. And I'm overcome with emotion as I finally see him. And I start running to him and say, Jesus, I love you so much. And as he gets up out of his throne and starts making his way to me, he says, hold on, I want to tell you something first. Good job. You did it. I'm so proud of you, son. Well done. And then he says, I want to give you something. I'll be like, no, wait, Lord, like it was an honor to serve you. He's like, you don't get to talk. I'm talking right now. I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. And I want to give you a reward. you know that scripture says when he returns, his reward is with him? He's bringing his reward in his hands. The Greek word is apodetomai, which basically means he wants to pay us back. Like, I don't know how you're going to feel. I don't know how I'll feel in that moment where, like, God, it was... It was an honor to live my life. You gave it all, I don't don't need any reward. Like being with you for eternity is the only reward I need. And he says, this is my show. I've got gifts I wanna give you. You did it. I gave you a good life. I gave you a good wife. I gave you a dream and a vision. I gave you dashingly good looks. (laughs) Told you it's my story. And I wanted you to enjoy them, son. But more than that, I wanted you to use them to let people know how much I love them. Thank you for using your life to help bring other people from death into life. Scripture records it this way. In Matthew 25, 23, Jesus told a parable, and his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, now I'm gonna entrust you with more responsibility up here in heaven. And then he says, come and share your master's happiness. You guys, I get emotional with this because, like I can't talk about what it's gonna be like to see Jesus face to face without getting choked up. And there are times where I wanna quit. There are times when following Jesus and leading a church and and doing this whole thing. In fact, even recently, I've had some hard days and I've told God, like, I don't know if I've got what it takes to keep doing this. But when I lose my why, I lose my way. And this verse brings me back. Because one day I'm gonna stand before God and I wanna hear him tell me, well done. And I don't wanna let my Jesus down. I wanna know that I gave everything, that I, I used every resource he entrusted to my care to make his name famous, to build his kingdom. We're all gonna have that day. That's what I wanna hear, and that's what I want you to hear. And one of my jobs as your pastor is to prepare you for that day when you will stand before him and give an account of your life. And one of the only ways I know how to do that is to try and help you understand that there is more to this life than this life. So many of us have a hard time being generous towards the things of God because we are so consumed with making our life on this earth more comfortable. And that's just, that's insanity. I shared this illustration with you guys years ago, but pretend this rope is your life, okay? And it it goes on for eternity. This rope is, I don't know, some 100 feet long. and just got knotted, but you can see what I mean. It goes on and on, okay? And our life on this earth is, is this part right here. This represents the rest of eternity. And the biggest lie the enemy told you is that this life is all there is, so you might as well live it up. Enjoy your life, make the most of it. He who dies with the most toys wins. And we try to make this part of our life as comfortable as possible when we have all of this life to live. It's crazy. And how we spend this part of our life and what we do with the resources he gave us while we were in this part of our life determines the reward that we'll get to enjoy for the rest of eternity. There's more to this life than this life. And I want you to experience the joy that will come over you when you hear Jesus, your savior, your friend, your king, your Lord. Say, good job. Let's enjoy eternity together. Let me pray for you. God, I pray you give us a vision of eternity. Lord, that we we would stop living our lives as though this life was all that there was, that we would start being more intentional to use what you have given us and given us the ability to earn, to invest in heaven what we cannot lose instead of accumulating on earth things that we cannot keep. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the way that you are using us as living stones to build your house in this part of the world. And God, I just pray that you would speak to every heart, Lord, and prompt their spirit on what they're to give. Lord, and if there's been any sense of of guilt or compulsion, God, I pray that you remove that. Lord, and that people would understand this is not about a bigger building, this is about your family getting bigger and legacies being changed, family destinies being altered and changed. Lord, would you help us rediscover our why? That we would rediscover the joy of following you and being generous towards you. Lord, that we would give to things that outlive us and live our lives in a way that outlive us so that we can be remembered forever, so that our legacy will carry on. And we want our legacy to be your legacy. The kingdom of God is the only thing that will last. So Lord, may we give our lives to things that will last. Thank you, Lord, for inviting us into a relationship with you where you extend to us the opportunity to partner with you to make your plan known to the world around us. God, would you just help us to realize what a privilege that is. May you give us the courage and the faith to just be obedient to do what you've called us to do, to trust that you're going to take care of every single one of our needs here on this earth. If we will seek first you and your kingdom, all the other things that we worry about, you're going to take care of them. Lord, help us to focus on building your house and trust that you'll build ours. God, we just say we love you. We trust you. And we thank you in advance for the lives that are gonna continue to be changed as a result of what you're building here. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen, amen and amen. Church, thanks for allowing me to be just transparent and vulnerable with you. I apologize for the display of emotion. I, I like I said, I, I, can't, I can't talk about that, that time, that meeting with Jesus without getting choked up because it's what I live my life for. And I pray that you would, um, you would experience that same joy in your heart. If you're new with us here today, don't forget to take that black VIP card out to the outdoor foyer before you leave so that we can give you a gift, but even more importantly, so that we can bless a struggling family in our community with the gift of a warm meal. Don't forget to take this commitment card home with you. Pray about it. Bring it back with you next week as we have Commitment Sunday. Believing God that every need we have for this next phase of the campaign is gonna be met. I love you guys so much. Have a great week. God bless, and we'll see you next Sunday.